Hello, it's 25th of November 2017, and this is episode 50 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis, and commentary, with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. I know I have a normal preamble that I do at this point, but I just realised this is the 50th episode. I know it's really mm-hmm. dumb because I, I write the notes <laughs> and it says 50 right there, but I'm looking at it now as I'm actually reading it out and I'm like, wow, that's pretty impressive. Amazing. Yeah, that's a lot of hours talking about Star Wars. <laughs> many, many hours. <laughs> Especially considering we've had bumper episodes before. I think our longest yeah. was probably creeping up for like for three hours or something insane. Yeah, I'm sure no one got to the end of that one. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, you're probably right. Um, but yeah, no, that's really cool. So yeah, mm-hmm. thanks for sticking with us, everyone, and listening for this long, because I know from our statistics that people are indeed still listening, which is incredible and awesome. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, here's to 50 more. Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, I guess it's like our golden jubilee, just in terms <laughs> of episodes rather than years, which I don't <laughs> think counts. But yeah, um to be honest this week it has been pretty quiet i think because of thanksgiving mm-hmm. so yeah the u.s outlets have just gone completely dead so it's very frustrating because when you kind of get hooked onto the drip of star wars like news and star wars tv spots when it's suddenly taken away you're like what, what? Where's, where's it gone no no give it back give it back <laughs> not quite that weird but you know what I mean. It's like we were getting used to almost daily TV spots or a new mm. article and a new appearance from someone saying something interesting but frustratingly vague. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to ramp up again next week because they're going to start appearing on talk shows and stuff. So Exactly. Oh my goodness. Fun times are ahead. Right. So we are now going to move into the news segment of the show. And to begin with, we're going to be catching up with the leftovers from the EW coverage. So last show, we were both in a bit of an excitable fluster because obviously the EW stuff was coming out just as we were recording, which is both perfect timing and bad timing in a certain way, because it means that we can be really genuine with our responses and be really like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, when we're reading stuff out. But we got... <laughs> Yeah, we got people tweeting at us saying that I seemed really collected. Guys, it's all an act. I'm freaking out inside. I'm just trying to be vaguely professional. <laughs> yeah, like Kirsty has like a better public face for these things, shall I say? I always feel like we've crafted these like little personas for ourselves for podcasts. So it's like I'm the more sensible one. <laughs> but just before we record, we both freak out together. Yeah, so maybe we should just start recording that part and let people have that but I don't know <laughs> I always feel yeah. like okay and now I've got to calm down and discuss this stuff objectively yeah it's really hard though but yeah like you say it's so true our initial responses to stuff when we're just it was just us like screaming at each other yeah well when the call started I said this to someone on tumblr when the call started we were literally just laughing at each other like in this <laughs> spirit of like maniacal glee it was great it's like <laughs> so it's probably a bit evil but yeah it's what happened um <laughs> sorry there's such a tangent um but yeah we need to catch up for the ew stuff basically um there's been various articles there's been like an article on kelly marie tran there's been an article on porks there's been an article on lando not appearing in this film which really reminds me of monty python and the holy grail <laughs> do you know what i mean like sir not appearing in this film yeah, okay. Well, honestly, I was even impressed that they managed to spin out stuff for the Porgs article. Because it's like, there's nothing here. Yeah. I like looked at that and I was like, I'm not talking about this. Nope. Yeah. I mean, we'd already heard that Billy D. Williams wasn't going to be in it, right? Yeah. So I suppose, again, this is written for a, a, a larger audience who wasn't necessarily following all of the Star Wars news. Yes. Um, but there had been nothing so far to suggest that Lando was going to be in the sequel trilogy, so it's just like further com- confirmation of that. Yeah, I think it's more that Billy G. Williams is clearly desperate to be in the sequel trilogy, and I feel bad for him. But Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. he has been involved with Star Wars to some degree. Like, he voiced Lando on Rebels. Oh, um, yeah. No, definitely. Like, I think he just wants the same shot that Harrison Ford and Carrie and Mark got which I think is perfectly reasonable because by Return of the Jedi 
Billy Dee was pretty much on a level with those actors. So I can understand feeling a bit left out in terms of the live action movies. But you're right, it's not like the character is being neglected or ignored. He's just being explored in different media. Yeah, okay. There was some part of the... Uh, we we are going to end up discussing it now, sorry. Um, the article where Ryan was saying that he just couldn't f- think of like a natural fit for Lando in the story. Mm. But a lot of people have theorised that since Finn and Rose are going to Canto Bight and going to be in that casino, that that would be a fit for Lando. So yeah. I think they could have squeezed him in if they wanted to, even if it was just a cameo. Yeah. Um, but for whatever reason, and it's probably not going to be ours to fully know um he's just not part of the story that ryan wants to tell so i'm sure that's a bummer for lando fans but yeah i kind of sense that part of it might be that um ryan is really resistant to including things just for the sake of nostalgia so it's kind of like the case where well he could have included lando in the canto bite segment but it really wouldn't have added anything other than those like warm fluffy nostalgia feels yeah, I feel like Lando could have been a character to connect Finn and Rose to whoever, I mean, DJ or whatever is going to happen there. Yeah. Um, but that's going to be Maz as far as we know. Yeah. So, yeah, there's just, you know, characters are devices within the narrative and they'll be used for these particular purposes. And if there's someone already there in the cast to fulfill that purpose, then Ryan's not necessarily going to be like, oh, we desperately need Lando for this scene, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Exactly. Um, Right. So the first story we're actually going to talk about in considerable depth is the one about Snoke. And I was wondering if you could take it away, Kirsty, and read it. Sure. Some people absorb unspeakable pain, then vow to spend the rest of their lives working and fighting to make sure no one else has to suffer as they did. Others endure the same agony, but deal with it by magnifying that pain and blasting it back upon the world. Supreme Leader Snoke is one of the latter. The enigmatic ruler of the First Order finally emerges from the darkness in Star Wars The Last Jedi, and actor Andy Serkis is revealing a little more about the villain's origin and creation. This time you get to see him as in his real presence, says Serkis, who plays the towering Snoke via performance capture. In the previous movie, we saw him as this huge hologram and telepresence, and you get to meet him in the flesh this time. Serkis describes a cruel master, a nine-foot-tall alien humanoid who disparages and dominates his two lieutenants, Kylo Ren and General Hux. He's a predator who identifies weakness and exploits it, drawing the young and promising to his side with promises of power, then using and discarding his protégés when they are no longer of use. He is seen here in hologram form in The Last Jedi, looking very Wizard of Oz as he bellows at Hux over some unspecified failure or disappointment. Circus says much of that unhappiness will be directed at the former Ben Solo, however. His training of Kylo Ren is not yielding what he wants, Circus says. Therefore, his anger towards Kylo Ren is intensified because he can't bear weakness in others. Part of the manipulation is goading him with Hux and playing them off against each other. Maybe the effect of that pairing has worn off, however. Snoke may need to start goading Kylo Ren with another disciple. Watch yourself, Ray. <laughs> Snoke has an abiding rage towards the Galactic Republic, which he devastated in The Force Awakens by annihilating its capital with a blast from Starkiller Base. And now that anger has shifted towards the wounded Republic's military force, the Resistance. The thing about Snoke is that he is extremely strong with the Force, the dark side of the Force. He's terribly powerful, of course, but he's also a very vulnerable and wounded character, Circus says. He has suffered, and he has suffered injury. The way that his malevolence comes out is in reaction to that. His hatred of the Resistance is fueled by what's happened to him personally. The Last Jedi will reveal that the First Order is far stronger than anyone else in the galaxy realised. Despite the fact that the Starkiller base has been destroyed and the Resistance has been putting up a fight, we will discover that the First Order has limitless resources in this one, Circus says. Exactly how Snoke suffered his deformity hasn't yet been revealed, but we will learn more about it in this instalment, at least a little more. Similar to with Rey's parentage, Snoke is here to serve a function in the story, writer-director Ryan Johnson says. And, you know, a story is not a Wikipedia page. Revenge is only part of his motivation. Greed is another. Oh, absolutely. He's slightly oligarch, Circus says. You know, he's not afraid of showing his fineries. There is a luxury that's native to him. You can see it in his throne room and his scarlet armoured Praetorian guard. The way that his court is presented, he's very totalitarian in that way and flamboyant, Circus says. He enjoys that theatricality, I think. 
I just need to say that I love the whole thought of Snoke having a court. Like, he's <laughs> some kind of, like, despotic medieval ruler. And then, like, he has, like, Kylo there as, like, an ornament to his court. So I think that's <laughs> totally what's going on. Like, not in the sense that he keeps Kylo around wearing beautiful dresses and, like, sighing. Although, he probably does lots of sighing. But, yeah, I just love that mental image. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was weird. I know you really like this whole article, Kirsty. I love it too. But I know you were the person who, like, messaged me saying, let me know when you've read this. <laughs> so I know you were really excited. It interested me because as people who listen to the show know, I have been resistant to all kinds of Snoke theories because I think a lot of them are trash mm-hmm. and there's, there haven't been enough to go on. And the more that we learn about him from official sources, the more confused I am because it seemed like early on they were really emphasizing how Snoke is this ancient being. He's been around for thousands of years. I think in the novelization for The Force Awakens, he talks about how he's seen empires rise and fall um so it almost seems like now we're getting this other perspective that he's someone who has suffered real personal injury Mm. and that has come as a result of the republic in some way which is a relatively recent institution obviously um so i'm just really interested to see where they go with him now because it seems like much more of a human story yeah what do you think super interesting um, in a way, it makes sense because I think there's this whole question mark if he is thousands of years old. So, okay, then where was he when the prequel trilogy was going on? Where was he when the mm-hmm. original trilogy was going on? You kind of have to figure out some contrivance to explain that. I think that's where the popularity of the Plagueis theory people were fixated on that because then he would connect the trilogies together, right? Yeah, people liked it for that reason. But I think the benefits of having Snoke as a more recently emergent figure, at least in the sense that he bears all these malevolent feelings and wants to wreak havoc and create pain for others, like then you kind of sidestep those problems because as long as whatever happened to Snoke happened after Return of the Jedi, then of course he wasn't going to be involved in all the shenanigans in the prequel era or in the original trilogy because like he had his origin after the original trilogy so i can kind of understand it from that angle but at the Mm -hmm. same point it does feel weird because i guess i've so much absorbed this whole idea now that he is thousands of years old and he is this ancient being that i've kind of assembled all these headcanons around the possibilities that might be going on with that character and again i know my snoke theory probably sucks as well but (laughs) i did like the idea of him being some like ancient monster locked away somewhere in the unknown regions and then the first order stumble across him and are like oh gosh sorry we didn't mean to disturb you and he's like no i'm going to take you over <laughs> well this it- is the other thing like we know that it was really ray sloan and um hux senior who kind of established the first order right mm-hmm. so who's snoke in that equation yeah um yeah. I definitely think in any equation, Snoke's involvement in the First Order came later. So it was definitely a pre existing organization that he then wormed his way into. I think the question is what were the circumstances of that? Yeah. Based on this new information, I almost wonder if he became powerful in the First Order because he offered them all the financial resources and wealth they needed in order to build up this huge military machine. Because Maybe. I do get a sense that. Last Jedi is going to focus on the economics of everything much more than we've seen previously. Like, there's this whole theme of Canto Bight being this playground for the wealthy in the galaxy, and then that being contrasted with how people are poor and suffering, like in the side streets where they're hidden away. And then you get the whole sense that Crate was like a source of like funds for the old rebellion. I believe that's a thing. Because it was like a mining planet and they would sell the minerals in order to get money. So I do think that's a theme. And yeah, we obviously know Snoke likes his bling and he has a whole course and he wears gold and he loves gold. He's like gold member because, <laughs> yeah. like So I think they might be going for something like that. But again, that just does seem oddly underwhelming. So there's obviously going to be more to it than that. But 
I'm just very curious to see how it plays out, so I struggle to picture it right now. Yeah, I mean, J.J. Abrams before has talked about how Snoke used to be a handsome young man, right? Yes. So the emphasizing here of the deformity and the way Andy Serkis has worked with the physicality of the character, it, it does seem to still be in line with that if they're drawing attention to how Snoke is in physical pain from whatever happened to him. Yeah. And how that kind of fuels his anger. Yeah. No, definitely. Mm. I don't think they completely f- threw out whatever the original concept for the character was. Like, but, like, as you say, I think they've clearly adjusted it and I think things are likely to have changed. But who knows? Maybe he is still thousands of years old and there's just more insights that we get. Yeah. I mean, it almost seems like this emphasis on him having lost things because of the Republican bearing a grudge. It's like, does he have a personal grudge against Leia? And is that why mm. he, one of the reasons he targeted her son? Yeah. Um, That's really interesting. Like, oh, I'm going to take so... your family away from you if maybe I lost mine or I don't know. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm now forming sucky Snoke theories. Here oh no! <laughs> it's a Sorry, slippery people. slope. It's a true slippery slope. Yeah, but there's just there's nothing to grab onto. It's like trying to catch shadows because there's we've got a little bit more here, but again, it's all stuff that can play out in a million different ways. So yeah, again, like I hate to keep on using this word, but this whole article is so validating again for like perceptions of Snoke's grooming of Ben Solo. Yeah, they're really driving that home, calling him a predator. Yeah. No, it's really, really striking. And I really like that they're going with this whole idea that he specifically targets young people, like Mm -hmm. people who are weak and people who are struggling. And then he tries to offer them what they want in order to entice them to his side. Because, like, oh God, I sound like such a smug asshole. But I remember ages and ages ago, I wrote an article about the similarities between Hux and Kylo. And I think one of the main points in that was that both of these young men had clearly been like seduced by Snoke to some extent because they're both the minions standing beneath him in The Force Awakens at his beck and call. So he clearly offered them something or groomed them in some way and it's not a coincidence that they're both young and they're both petty and they're both childlike in many ways. Yeah, and, Hux yeah. is an interesting foil to Kylo because he was raised within the First Order. Yeah. So on one hand, you think, well, of course, that's why he would continue to be part of that system because that's what he knows and that's probably a big part in why he's general at such a young age. Mm. Um, but also, how would you react if this person just came in and decided they were going to be the leader of the First Order? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so... I don't know. I don't think we're going to see more from Hux in terms of screen time, but I would like to see a bit more of why he answers to Snoke and what yeah. he thinks about him. Um, oh, definitely. And I like this whole prospect of the fact that Snoke is deliberately trying to pit Kylo and Hux against each other. I thought order... mm-hmm. I thought that comment was kind of referring to The Force Awakens, because you see that there. Yeah. But... <sighs> Yeah, I think it is, but I think the whole idea is that that has been his strategy, but after the events of The Force Awakens, Snoke really needs to have a serious rethink about his strategy, because that ain't working anymore. (laughs) Exactly. I just mean, like, the quote, like, you could take it to one thing, I mean, oh, we're going to see Kylo and Hux pitted off each other, but I thought it was him talking about what we've already seen. I think we'll have to have at least a little bit of... They'll kind like of have Hux to reestablish it, yeah. Yeah, like, if only to show that Kylo's attitude to Hux has changed. Because, like, I think Hux is going to be really, really bitter towards Kylo, to be honest. Because mm-hmm. Kylo, to a large degree, is highly responsible for all the bullshit that happened on Starkiller Base. Phasma is more responsible, but according to the comics, Hux is a bit of an idiot and he's easily <laughs> deceived, so... He doesn't know that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, I think he's going to bear, like, a real grudge, and he's probably going to try and torment Kylo about that. And I would like it if Kylo were just like, I don't care what you think, mate, I've got bigger fish to fry. Well, yeah, because 
I really think like there's gonna they're gonna bring out more of the antagonism between Snoke and Kylo because for a long time it seems like Snoke has been pushing the whole oh you're really special you know um I've offered you this kind of sense of belonging companionship that obviously you didn't find with your family mm. uh, there's a slightly different version of the article in print where Andy Serkis says he can't bear weakness in others and so he puts Kylo Ren through it really which implies that Snoke is not going to be so nice to Kylo, which yeah. makes sense because of his failures. I'm wondering if we're going to see Kylo being tortured or something like that. Yeah. I definitely think he's going to experience some tough love from Snoke, so to speak. Mm. And I think the real interesting thing is going to be seeing how he responds to that. Because, like, will he just be, like, even more compliant and even more like cowed by his mistreatment like his hypothetical mistreatments were speculating but yeah like or is he going to be really angry about it and become even more resentful and even more likely to turn against him i Mm. kind of suspect the latter but again i feel like it has to be if they're pushing the predator angle like that's not something you you do lightly yeah so you can't have the message be oh yeah just sit back and take it (laughs) like that'd be awful exactly like that brings in not even just coding, like that's explicit in terms of some or someone abusing and manipulating. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like that has to have implications for the overall story. Exactly. The Kylo's arc. So Yeah. No, super, super interesting. Um there's more to this article where basically Circus goes into the process and how he tried to capture all that pain and agony Snoke is in. But it was already really long. <laughs> right. Okay, so I think we've done talking about Snoky Snoke, and I will continue on to the article about Luke and Leia. And again, it's abbreviated just in the interests of time, and I will read. They were separated almost from the moment of birth. Luke and Leia, the children of Darth Vader, had to be hidden from their father, but they were also hidden from each other. Fate brought them back together again, but they only discovered this family tie at the end of Return of the Jedi. Fans of Star Wars have never witnessed the dynamics of their relationship as brother and sister. Although they are pictured together on EW's cover, one of the questions of The Last Jedi is whether Luke and Leia will find each other again within the story. Luke longs to have that extended family that he established in the original trilogy, but now he's at a place in his life and in his history where he shunned all that. Mark Hamill says, The big question is why he didn't respond to Leia during The Force Awakens. There's a lot of things you can't answer until you see this movie. Carrie Fisher's unexpected death last year makes The Last Jedi even more poignant, since her performance inevitably marks the last of Leia, at least on screen. Lucasfilm has said they will not be recreating her to resolve the princess turned general storyline. In this movie, she finds herself no longer leading the Resistance, with power shifting to Laura Dern's Vice Admiral Holdo, who has become an ally of Leia's since they were girls in the early days of the Rebellion. Oscar Isaac says Leia is also positioning his X-Wing fighter pilot Poe Dameron for a role as a decision-maker beyond the front lines of battle. We don't know the full circumstances of her leadership handoff, but Leia could be turning her attention toward a more personal mission. She has seen her only son turn cruel and murderous, and although she primarily blames the influence of Supreme Leader Snoke, she also partly blames herself. Kylo Ren does too, with Adam Driver saying the character of Ben Solo was driven to darkness because he already felt he was in the shadows. The cause was always at the top of Leia's priorities, and although it may have been the right choice, that devotion came at a cost. The Last Jedi writer-director Ryan Johnson says the shared history between Luke and Leia is an even stronger connection than their shared DNA. They are family, but even before learning that, these characters had become a found family. It was only at the end of Jedi that they became aware of this bond. He says, The real bond is that they're Luke and Leia. They've gone through this adventure together. They've been through some rough stuff together. Whether they actually get that reunion in The Last Jedi isn't a given, though. It's nice seeing them on the cover, though. Even if all we have is that, Johnson says. If these star-crossed twins find each other again, it'll be bittersweet. If they don't, it'll be tragic. But heartbreak is a part of life even in fantasy. Oh, I'm really not sure what they're preparing us for with that last bit. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if that means they will get a reunion, and they're trying to lead us away from that to make it a bigger surprise and more impactful, 
or there won't be a reunion and they're trying to like ease the pain <laughs> preemptively. It's impossible to say, of course, but I kind of more lean more towards the latter based on the tone, but it's so difficult. It is. I mean, I would like to think that if Luke and Leia weren't going to reunite, they wouldn't have had... They've, they've been teasing it, like, on the front cover. Isn't that the question that they pose for Luke and Leia? Will they reunite? Yeah. I'm, I just think they need to be careful because it's not just a movie. Like, people have Carrie Fisher and Leia as one in their mind. Yeah. So, and this is obviously the last opportunity. No one's... I would hope that people aren't angry if Ryan decided not to do that in this movie because he couldn't have possibly known what was going to happen. But I think yes. people will be really upset and disappointed. Yeah, it's about how it's handled, which, yeah, like you say, that's what would make this kind of promo bad if they're not reuniting. Because it's like, don't make a big deal out of it if it's not going to be a thing, because then you're really setting people up for disappointment. Like, mm-hmm. just focus on the other great things that are going on with the movie. Like, don't put this question at the forefront of people's minds, because then they'll really, really be thinking, oh, God, I need this, I need this, I need this. Mm-hmm. And it will make the pain more acute if it doesn't happen. So, yeah, I hope so. But yeah, like you say, it's not a question of blaming Ryan for not being able to predict the future, because no reasonable person would do that. It's just, yeah, don't make that a selling point, please. It's a bit distasteful. Yeah. I mean, I like a lot of the quotes here about them being found family before they realised that they were related by blood. Yes. Um, I think it's kind of funny that he calls them star-crossed twins, given what we had in the original trilogy. Yeah, I do. I did wonder if that was like a nod to the incest, to be honest. Oh, it's yeah. like, that's a really funny choice of words. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it goes into some of the stuff we've seen alluded to previously about how Kylo was partly driven to fall by the fact that he felt like disregarded compared to like the new republic and his parents desire to rebuild after the rebellion um which it's hard to talk about so i know it's a sore subject because i I can completely appreciate that for some people is a bit denigrating to the characters to say oh if only they'd been around more if only they hadn't been so invested in government business and political business then someone have turned evil but i don't think it's saying that really I think it's about perspective, because if you focus on the fact that Snoke has been called a predator, it means that he took advantage of the fact that Han and Leia were working hard and maybe weren't able to pay attention to their son literally all the time, because of course people with jobs can't do that. Yes. And Kylo, or Ben at the time, felt kind of lonely and frustrated with the situation, and Snoke saw that and took advantage. Yeah. That doesn't make it Han and Leia's fault. Yeah. And Leia will blame it herself because that's what people do, but it doesn't mean that it literally is her fault. Yeah. No, because Snoke is very paternalistic in The Force Awakens, and he's almost kind of simpering with Kylo. Like mm-hmm. we mentioned it before, how he's always like fawning and, oh, you're my star pupil and you're amazing, you're better than Hux, la la la. Like, obviously, he doesn't literally say those things, but he kind of implies them, and it goes more into it in the novelization. Um,. But yeah, I think we can infer from these new comments that all of that stuff appealed to Ben particularly strongly because he wasn't getting that kind of attention from his parents and he clearly craved it. Like He wanted like that sense of being special and being noticed and he clearly didn't feel that way, which is obviously terribly tragic of course his parents loved him and wanted him to feel special and cared for and looked after, but... Yeah, clearly all fell apart despite everyone's best intentions, and that's the real tragedy. Right, there's always this miscommunication at the root of a lot of these tragic stories, right? So it's not that they didn't love him, it's that he felt they didn't love him, and there's a difference. Yeah, exactly. Uh, It's all about perception. Yeah, and if there was this kernel of insecurity within Ben, Mm. Snoke would have stoked the fire. Yeah, exactly. What do you think about the stuff where it says about the handover of power to Holdo from Leia? Like, so I hate to say it, but that stuff, it does remind me of those very old rumours about what happens to Leia in the film. I'm not sure I should go into it too much, to be honest, because of spoilers, but... Um, I don't know. I think it's just... It makes sense for Ryan to want to bring someone else in to kind of um, widen our perception of the Resistance, that it wouldn't just be Leia calling the shots with everything. 
Yeah. And to bring in a point of conflict as well, because Holdo, as we know from the Leia book, has a very different perspective on things. Um, and Poe is going to clash with her, that we know, but it's, I don't know. I don't know what implications that has for the plot and really how much it would have been a case of Leia sitting, sitting back mm-hmm. and focusing on a personal mission, or if that's kind of the narrative that's being crafted now because we don't have Carrie for episode nine. Yeah. Is he it's not hard. Any- yeah. yeah. So I, I kind of sense that I, I just can't see Leia being the kind of person to be like, oh, sorry, guys, I know we're in our most desperate situation ever and we all desperately need le- leadership and help, but I'm just going to take a bit of time out to go and think about my son and ways to try and get him back from Snoke. Bye. Like, I don't see Leia choosing to do that. Like, however much like her maternal instincts might want her to, I kind of can't help but think that if Holder comes in, it's because Leia is just incapable of leading the resistance at that point, like due to injury or due to incapacitation or whatever. Like, I really don't think she dies, and I'm not saying that. I just think that something happens to her that means that she can't be there in the room, like discussing with Holdo and thrashing things out. Because as far as we've seen, it's all about that Holdo Poe dynamic and how those two characters interact. Oh, I would hope that we get to see Holdo and Leia interact as well, though. Mm. Oh yeah, no, I know we do because we've already got a behind-the-scenes shot of Carrie and Holdo. So unless yeah. that's really misleading and it was just behind the scenes and they were saying hi, then I definitely think we see a scene with the two of them together, which is really important. Hmm. Yeah, I just I want to see the Holdo and Leia dynamic, and mm. I I like the idea of Ryan thinking, well, Leia would really need some support right now after everything that's been happening. Amalyn Holdo. So let's bring in that's someone who was kind of a childhood friend of hers. Yeah. Um, and mix things up a little more. Yeah. And she can be a source of support and conflict to various characters. Yeah. No, so. that's really true. I'd like to see that, and I really hope that's what we get. So. Fingers crossed. Because the more I see about Holdo, the more excited I get for that character, to be honest. She mm, just becomes same. increasingly cool and increasingly interesting. Um, right. On the subject of Holdo, there's actually another article which is rather interesting. And it's about the whole dynamic between Holdo and Poe. And it's also quite a lot about Holdo specifically. So I'm just going to read it out. Things are falling apart. Although the Resistance took down the First Order's planet-demolishing Starkiller base in the previous film, The Last Jedi finds the forces of General Leia Organa depleted and scattered. The capital of the New Republic has been destroyed, the galaxy is a mess, and the First Order is wounded but lashing out more violently than ever. Into this chaos rises a new leader, Laura Dunn's Vice Admiral Holdo. She enters the Resistance to shake things up, Dunn tells EW. The question is whether that's a good thing. In real life, we all know what it's like to meet a new boss. Sometimes you see eye to eye. Sometimes it's a disaster. Fans aren't supposed to know whether they should trust her. Poe Dameron, the X-Wing ace played by Oscar Isaac, certainly isn't sure, which is why the two are side by side on EW's The Last Jedi covers. Their stories are interlocked, even if they're at odds. It's definitely appropriate that they've paired us because a lot of friction and conflict comes between Poe and that relationship with Admiral Holdo, who is this person that's been, at least temporarily, put in charge of the Resistance, Isaac says. Poe's loyalty is to Leia, and Holdo has a different style, a different approach, and very different ideas, but even the audience isn't supposed to know whether she's right. You have to sort of figure out whose side you're on, or what your feelings are about her, Dern says. Some of it has to do with judging people based on their appearances. Fisher used to joke that the Leia dressed like a fancy gas station attendant in The Force Awakens, but Holder arrives wearing gowns and sporting extravagant violet hair. She looks like polished brass among the dingy and battered resistance survivors. She doesn't particularly look like your typical military leader, and so I think there's a bit of distrust for Poe, Isaac says. He's not sure what to make of her, and then the way she speaks, the things she says... And he's not alone. Many others in the Resistance also lack confidence in their new leader. The question is whether she can win over the battle-weary warriors. The actress says this part of the storyline relates to our own world. Holdo represents stereotypes about women bosses. Dunn says, like if she looks a certain way, she can't achieve the job or she must be brazen. 
you know, all the different versions of what we label someone. I mean, there are reasons why I might look the way I look. I think it's beautifully subversive, Dern says of Holdo's military glamour. From the director to the producers, everyone was painstaking about not only the look, but even the exact colour of the hair, what it should be, in trying different versions. And all I know is I think it's so cool. I love the way she looks. I want to be Holdo for Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) The actress laughs. Does that just seem horrific and narcissistic? I get a free pass. That's a very Holdo attitude too. The Admiral barges in and doesn't care what people think, or whether she's welcomed or meets approval. She's headstrong, but not necessarily wrong. Sometimes you need somebody to show up and, yeah, teach you a thing or two, Dunn says. Swagger clashes with swagger, but game also recognises game. Poe wants to fight, she wants to strategize. Poe is grappling with how to become a leader and not just a hero pilot, which means keeping those emotions in check, to keep his fervour in check, and think things through a bit more, Isaac says. Holdo's restraint, her willingness to sacrifice for the good of the whole, and her ability to strategize beyond the front lines may prove more useful than battlefield bravado. Even if something seems like it's not the most heroic thing to do in the moment, thinking about the bigger picture is sometimes more important, Isaac says. That's something that he's trying to wrap his mind around, but at the same time, with the resistance being in such a precarious situation, he wants to do the right thing, and doesn't just want to wait and let things happen. He doesn't necessarily agree with the way Holdo sees the role of the Resistance in this particular moment. Damro and Holdo do have one thing in common. Both learned everything they know from the same teacher, Leia Organa. I've always worked under her for the Resistance, therefore with Leia being the boss, Dern says. I'll end there. There's a little bit more about Leia, Princess Valderon, but I've already yapped on enough, so I think we can discuss this. Uh, yeah, do you like this insight into Holdo and her dynamic with Poe, Kirsty? I do. I think it was a missed opportunity. They should have probably recommended that people read the Leia book because that's an even better insight into Holdo and yeah. maybe why she looks the way she does and does her hair and wears glamorous outfits like that. Yeah. Um, I think they're going to end up being a bit on the nose with the whole Poe judging her because she has a funny hair color, which makes me roll my eyes a little bit. <laughs> um, I mean, you have someone like Padme looking fab and no one ever questioned her authority. <laughs> yes, that's uh, true. It's like I I didn't really think about the fact that that would have um, implications in the galaxy the way it maybe would in our world. I I think that makes sense, though, actually. It's a very different setting. So, like, in The Phantom Menace, Padme is always ridiculously ornate and fancy, but that's in a court setting. Whereas, like, Holdo, she's more like in a... It's kind of like an insurgent group, almost. It's obviously the hero insurgent group, but still... She doesn't look that extravagant, though. Maybe this is because I've dyed my hair lots of <laughs> different ways in the past. But I'm like, yeah, she has a nice gown on, but it's not particularly ostentatious. Like, there's not like this huge pattern on it, or I, I don't know. She looks great, but it's not like ridiculously over the top. I think she'd get backward glances due to that hair. To be honest, people I just think it's a bummer takes. if people are questioning her ability to do her job. But I guess that's the point. Yeah, I'd be kind of disappointed in Poe. It would, it would kind of change my perception of him a little bit. But maybe that's the arc he's going to go on. I do think that's the point, because yeah. in The Force Awakens, he's almost too good and too nice and too lovely. So if we see him be a little bit of a dick in terms of his attitude toward <laughs> one, because they're not like his vision of what a military leader should look like, then I think that will be good in a way, because that's character building. Obviously, it's not yeah. a question of making Poe into a villain or like an evil person. This is a question of showing him as having like occasionally closed-minded beliefs and attitudes about things. I guess it's interesting the way Laura Dern phrases it as an issue with um, like female bosses who maybe put pride into their appearance and want to look good as well as do the job right. Mm. Because, like you say, like Leia looks very much in business mode in um, The Force Awakens. She kind of just dresses the way everyone else in the Resistance does, but here that's contrasted with her more glamorous outfits that she's looking like she's getting for The Last Jedi. Mm. So is Poe going to start judging her differently too? Because she looks glam? <laughs> well, I guess at least her hair isn't purple, so... Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> I, I, To be fair, I think it's also going to be about how Holdo conducts herself because we've both read Leia, Princess of Alderaan and we both recommend it. This is great. But in that book, Holdo is very, very peculiar in a great way. 
but in the sense that she's not very direct and it can take a while to figure out what she's saying and what she means by things. Mm. So she'll suddenly say, oh, look at the magpies. And people be like, what? What are you talking about? Say, aren't they pretty? Aren't their feathers beautiful? And be like, what on earth? Like, obviously, <laughs> that is not an actual thing that happens in Leia Princess of Alderaan, but it's kind of the tone that the character sets. Like, in that, she'll just go off and do something that seems aimless and stupid and pointless, but will actually turn out to be a really insightful, perceptive thing that can help everyone as long as they are patient enough to listen to her and work with her to figure out what she's getting at. Yeah, it's tropey as hell. Like, I've seen a lot of people compare it to Luna Lovegood because that's obviously another famous example of that kind of archetype Yeah, in um, young adult fiction. But, um, yeah, it, it has something to say about maybe looking beyond a book's cover. Yeah, I think it's interesting to have a middle-aged woman have that kind of characterization though because like you say I, obviously there's the Luna Lovegood example but I'm thinking and I really can't think of like an older woman who's characterized in that way and I really like the prospect of that and I do think that's something different it is still tropey to an extent but I think it becomes more subversive because the type of character the trope is being applied to is different from what you'd usually expect yeah I I can just see Poe being a bit like rolling his eyes and thinking this person knows nothing you know why should i listen to her Mm. um can you let us conduct our own war please um and then presumably being surprised by what she's able to offer yeah so yeah should be good i think like again just speculation but i reckon that poe does think foolhardy that in the moment he's convinced is the right thing to do and that is going to yield the best results, like against Holdo's wishes. But then something goes catastrophically wrong, and he realizes what she was saying, and he realizes why she was saying the things she was saying. Like, mm-hmm. and so he has to learn the hard way. I can see them doing something like that. And again, I think it will be interesting and add new layers to the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is needed really after The Force Awakens, because yeah. it's clear from that movie that they didn't have a long term plan for his arc. Yeah, and it's necessary because Oscar Isaac is so talented, so he can pull off yeah, whatever exactly. they give him. So, yeah, I'm excited to see him become more rounded. Mm-hmm. Right, then the next phase, shall we say, of this podcast is that we're going to talk about some Last Jedi TV spots. And the first one, it joins my growing selection of favourites. <laughs> it's a TV spot called Tempt. And it's all framed around Ray meditating and Luke lingering over her shoulder like he does. And are you alright if I do the voices, Kirsty? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. <laughs> so, breathe now. Reach out. What do you see? Light, darkness, and something else. It's calling me. Resist it, Ray. Ray. I don't know if it was meant to be, but I found this really funny. My reenactment, you mean? No, the TV spot. The TV spot. Although you are very funny too. Thank you. That's kind. Um, yeah, I just... I love it. I, I love the drama. Oh, it's me so too, good. but I just find Luke Skywalker funny. I'm sorry. I find his scream at the end so extra. Like he's literally bellowing in her face. Ray! <laughs> No, don't think about Kylo. (laughs) That's the funny part, right? Okay, so when she says something else is calling me, that's when they show Kylo reaching out. (laughs) So you've got light and darkness, and then there's something else. And that's Kylo Ren. Tempting. Yeah. (laughs) Covered in sweat, (laughs) panting from exhaustion. Okay. <laughs> Reel it back in. I'm sorry. It's true though. <laughs> oh dear. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, Luke was very, very over the top there. <laughs> Resist it, Ray. Ray. He was in a delightful way. Bless him. I'm so excited for Mark Hamill's performance. Like everything he's been shown doing so far is just so interesting to me. It's so different from the Luke we're used to. And it's also so different from Yoda. Like I cannot imagine Yoda going, Luke! <laughs> <laughs> it's not very uh, Jedi of him, is it? No, it's not. 
<laughs> it really sounds like he's at a, like he's just kind of like, oh, I've got no other resources yeah. left to stop this. Okay, I'll shout in her face. <laughs> okay, this is a bit of a tangent. Sorry, mm, don't worry. But I just last night I finished watching the walkthrough for Battlefront Two. Mm-hmm. Um, have you watched any of it? No, I haven't had time, unfortunately. Okay. If if you have time, eventually, I recommend it. Because you, you can watch it all on YouTube, just as kind of like a movie of the cutscenes. Okay, that's cool. Um, and it's a really great story. And the look that you get there, like just after Return of the Jedi, is so different from what we're seeing. It's really funny. Oh, really? In he's what very, way? Like, he's very zen and confident and has all these amazing one-liners. That uh, It's just very like... Oh, this is a Luke who has his shit together. Yeah. Um, and and that makes sense after Return of the Jedi, right? Mm. Um, and now this is just the polar opposite. I feel like it's going to give people a bit of whiplash having played that game and seen that version of Luke. And then they come in and see this Luke who is just so broken mm. and like yelling things like this in someone's face. Pure panic. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. It really is. Yeah, no, it's a great little TV spot. I love it. And it's so well constructed in order to build up that tension and excitement. And yes, also the giggling at Mark Hamill's fantastic hamminess. But (laughs) yeah, this is amazing. And I love it. And I need more TV spots, please. (laughs) God, I'm so greedy. (laughs) What did we have another one like two days ago? Yeah, it's too long. Now we we need another one. Yeah, I need my fix, man. (laughs) Um, Right. Then the next one to discuss is that we had a Japanese TV spot. And this is filled with fabulously excited Japanese voiceover man, like talking about Rey and Kylo Ren and how they're both important and how one's a prodigy and one's the heir of Darth Vader, blah, blah, blah. And then the really interesting thing is that at the very end, there's a new shot of Rey. And it's a very interesting shot of Rey because... Yeah, there's lots of stuff to take from this if you're willing to let your mind go into overdrive, like I probably am. Kirstie, do you want to talk about this in a more balanced way than I probably would? Uh, Yeah, although I wasn't balanced when I saw it. I was freaking out and then sent you a bunch of messages, but obviously you were sleeping because it was (laughs) a different time for you. No, I was at work, Um, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought it was in the middle of the night when I saw it. Okay. Um, So she's reaching out and... She looks distressed, like this is a big climactic moment, presumably. Although, who knows? Because um, there's not much else revealed, except in the background, the falling embers look a bit like what's behind Kylo when he's reaching out in the main trailer. Mm. They do indeed. So Kylo looks relatively calm when he's reaching out, so it wouldn't be the same moment, but it might be related in some way. Yeah. I've also seen people point out, and I don't think this is absolutely set in stone but i certainly think it's possible there's kind of like a red shape in the background behind ray on the ground and some people have speculated that's an unconscious or dead praetorian guard and that obviously has all kinds of interesting (laughs) implications um yeah it's interesting that we got this tv spot after we'd seen the photo of kylo and ray together in snoke's throne room yes um and obviously before that, we'd seen Rey being tortured by Snoke in the throne room. So it's all hinting that this moment, whatever it is, is pretty important. Yeah. Like my like tentative interpretation of what I think might happen, like, and this is all very tentative and incomplete, but Rey gets tortured by Snoke. Rey breaks out some t- somehow. This shot here where she's extending her arm that is her like fighting back with the force and presumably taking out a bunch of Praetorians. And then the shot of Kylo reaching out, that's from later on once all the Praetorians are down and then he's offering the hand like with the come with me gesture. Because mm-hmm. as you've pointed out, the shot of Kylo, that doesn't look like a heat of battle shot. Whereas the shot of Ray, that does look more desperate and more like it's an urgent situation where she needs to do stuff and do it fast. Mm-hmm. So It's her raw power coming out. Exactly, yeah. Which is incredibly exciting for reasons. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I am so fascinated by the whole sequence. I long ago gave up on trying to understand the timeline. 
Oh, same. And movie, but it's still fun to think about individual scenes sometimes and how those individual scenes might be constructed. Mm-hmm. So the next one, what was this called? Was this called Back? It was called Back. Yeah. It's like and the that's because... <laughs> And that's what Phasma should have come out singing. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Yes. So yeah, she saunters in and says, so good to have you back, which presumably she's saying to Finn. Yes. Because we know that he immortates the First Order and they fight and everything. So that was pretty cool to get a line from her. And she looks predictably badass. Yeah. She looks very seductive as well. She's kind of like <laughs> walking along. It's like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess she's going to want to kind of... Um, save face after kind of being embarrassed by Finn yeah. in The Force Awakens. It's all about projecting so. that confidence, I think. Mm-hmm. Was there anything else? Oh, there was Chewie shoving the paw. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was hilarious. How could we possibly forget? <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. It's so funny because you've been like having this sense so far that like Chewie's been bonding with the paws, and we have that kid's book coming out, Chewie and the paws, where it looks like He's almost like the Pied Piper. <laughs> yes. They're all like following him along up to. Oh my god! Um, and yeah, now we've seen him. Because we got them in the main trailer together. The poor was like screaming in panic as he flies the Falcon, and then he's reaching over because it looks like he might be flying by himself. Yeah, he doesn't have a co-pilot, so he needs to reach over to do something over there and shoves the pork off the console <laughs> in the process. Oh my god! It was amazing. And, like, it almost made me wonder if in the Star Wars universe if there's some version of, like, the RSPCA where you can call to, like, <laughs> report cruelty to porks. Because Aww. it's so wrong, you know? Like, how? How could Chewie do that? He's such a monster, you know? Also, did you see, I can't remember where it came from, but did you see that comment from Daisy where she's like, no, I don't really have much to do with the porks, unfortunately. I've got too much else going on. Yes, I did. Yeah. It was devastating. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense, but it's also a bit sad to me. Like I did have like some headcanons about like Ray frolicking with the porks like a Disney princess with her animal friends, but <sighs> alas, not all our dreams can come true. The time has passed. She had her frolicking with BB-8, and now it's time to get down to business and angst. That's true. Yeah, I guess those childhood days of playing with the animals have gone. So <laughs> yeah, move on. I guess just about. <laughs> Um, right. And then the final thing to talk about is that the last Jedi press tour has started and it began in Mexico. And I believe they shipped out Daisy and Ryan and Mark and Ram mm-hmm. Bergman as like a special bonus. Um, mm-hmm. and they all went there to talk about the movie. And I know Daisy had some things to say that you wanted to talk about, Kirsty. So would you like to read out the quote? Yeah. Um, Ray meets Finn, and Finn is a stormtrooper, she's a scavenger, and their brother and sister, they have this amazing connection. I got this quote from Tumblr, and I don't know if it's an exact quote, but I probably should have... It was on a live stream. Right. Um, I think the video is out there somewhere. But this is the essence of what she said. She's talking about The Force Awakens. Yeah. Um, and Finn and Ray's dynamic. Mm. And then um, she goes on to say... But I think it's beautiful that the relationships are formed with people that aren't even necessarily, that wouldn't be classified as family, but family is who you choose, I think. You can choose to love people and bring them into your home and make a life with a group of people who have no blood relation to you. I think this might have been part of her long-winded answer when she was asked if she could choose whether Rey would be Skywalker or Kenobi. Right. And she ends up choosing Skywalker because she says she's never met a Kenobi. Yeah. Um which some could take as a debunking of Ray Kenobi, but whatever. That's not the point. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm really not attached to that either way. Um, but yeah, like I feel like none of what she's saying here is new. She's talked about Ray and Finn's dynamic before and emphasized found family and how that's important to Ray's journey in The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. But I just think it's interesting that she kind of has to keep driving this point home because journalists are so fixated on Ray's parentage. Yeah. It's really, really bad, and it's really frustrating at this point, because they're trying so hard in the publicity to drive the conversation in a more interesting direction and redirect people so that their brains are actually ticking and thinking about questions beyond these really, really tired ones. But no, they still ask who you're related to, who would you like to be related to, and it's all... I mean, she's literally saying that that's not 
important for the character. Yeah. Uh, not that her parentage won't be important, but that it will roll out as part of the story, but that her arc is about finding belonging yeah. and family with people who wouldn't necessarily be what you expect. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and <laughs> no one is going to be happier than Daisy Ridley when Ray's parents are actually revealed. She's going to be like, yeah. finally, people need to move on. And there's just no basis for them to ask this question anymore, thank God. Because, yeah, yeah she be must so be done. tired of it. Yeah, I'm yeah. tired of it, and I don't have to sit in the room listening to the question be asked and have to trot out the Lucasfilm-approved script answer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. Yeah, just a few more weeks. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so surreal, man. It's ridiculous. But yeah, no, it's a good point. Like you say, it's been made before, but like I like it, and it ties back to the whole Luke and Leia thing in a way. Obviously, that's perhaps yeah. not the best examples. So they did end up actually being related. <laughs> But the point is not that they're blood related. The point is that the bond they formed through their interactions with each other and through the journey they shared as they went from the starts of their stories through all this development and evolved and changed. Like, that is the point. It's not the fact, oh, yeah, we were both popped out by our mum from the same womb. Yay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's kind of like a footnote to it all. Yeah. Because, I mean, even in the article about Ray and Kylo that came out first... Anthony Bredenkin was talking a lot about the belonging that Ray needs to find and Daisy Ridley was they have these quotes from her saying that she wants to be a part of something and that Luke Skywalker is going to push her away and push her toward Kylo Mm. um and that Kylo is the one who's reaching out you know so it's something that she wouldn't expect because they seem so far removed from each other's like how could we possibly understand each other but i think that's what this film's going to explore that there are these connections in unexpected places exactly which i think is a lovely way of dealing with it and it's a much Mm -hmm. more interesting direction for the story so yeah it's good um are there any particular things in the promo lineup that you're excited for so i know there's so much coming up there's lots of talk show appearances and there's lots of premieres like i'm super excited for a whole cast to be on that one talk show. It's one of the Jimmies. Is either Fallon or Kimmel. <laughs> I can never remember which one. I think it's Kimmel, and I think Daisy's going to be on Fallon by herself. Oh, okay. I think, unless I've got it the other way around. Right. I always get them mixed up too. Yeah, but the one with the whole cast looks so epic. So I think it's literally everyone apart from Lupita. Yeah. Oh, and Benicio del Toro. They're not. Oh, okay. In on it, but everyone else is. Even Donald Gleason is. And he hasn't done any press for this movie so far. Oh yeah, he needs to do some though, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, just a little, even if it's like showing his face at premieres and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that'll be cool. Uh, I whenever there's this huge appearance like that with everyone, I'm like, how much is there going to be a real substance? But it, it'll be a lot of fun. Oh yeah, there's going to be no substance at all. This is going to be like, <laughs> yay, we're all in Star Wars, isn't this great? Like they can't like turn to Donald and say. So, Donald, could you give us like a five-minute monologue about how great it is to be Hux? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, like, it's just going to be an exciting spectacle to see them all there together. And I feel bad for him because I know he hates it, but I also want to see Adam do publicity stuff because, yeah, I like Adam Driver and I want to see him do stuff for Star Wars. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sure he'll have some interesting things to say. Yeah. I know he's going to Japan as well. So he, oh yeah, he clearly couldn't when, avoid do that. Do you know when that's happening? Um, early December, I think. Like, okay, I think. So. Oh my god! Then, maybe. Yeah, less than two weeks. That's insane. I think it's the fifth. Okay. Which is not next Tuesday, but the Tuesday after. Yeah, it just seems like we're going to get something new every day now. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. Like in a way, I kind of wish that I'd kept up with everything that was going on for the Force Awakens. Mm. Um, just because there's so it's so much fun to enjoy it with the fans, like the anticipation. Oh yeah, it's like a real communal experience. I think at this point, mm-hmm. and yeah, there's nothing quite like it. It's great. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's probably a good point to wrap things up. If you would agree, Kirsty. Yeah, it's the end of the show notes, so yeah. <laughs> maybe there's stuff that we miss, but we're trying to be a bit more selective now that so much stuff is coming out. Yeah, you need to be a bit brutal, I think. Um, so yep. Yeah. If you have any feedback on the show, do tweet us at Scavengers Horde or send us an email at scavengershorde at gmail.com. And until next time, you can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? 
I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, bye! Bye! Bye.